Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From Nashville, Tennessee, this is Mysterious Matters for those who dare to think. And ladies and gentlemen, we've just now completed October. This is November the 1st. I hope you all had a spooktacular Halloween. Our guest this evening is Matt Swain. And the topic of the night is Ghost of Country Music. I had originally scheduled Matt for earlier in October, but because of some personal issues, I had to reschedule. Now Matt is with us. His book, will be released February 7th of next year. It is the Ghost of Country Music. And without further ado, Matt, welcome to Mysterious Matters. Thank you for having me. I really am glad to be on the show. We're glad to have you here with us. What can you tell us about yourself? I know that you have been a, um, and actually I guess you still are a journalist for Penn State. What was it that drew you toward the research of ghosts? Well, I I guess you could say that I was uh, born to uh, write about this. Uh, Like most writers, I probably blame my mom (laughs) because I was born on Halloween. And so, you know, I do recall as a kid just always being really interested in horror movies, uh, you know, ghost stories. I could not wait until the every every month or so we would get a catalog of books out And uh, in school, it would be distributed in school. And I was always getting the ghost books and the paranormal stuff and the Fordian uh, books. I can remember reading some Charles Ford as a young, young kid. So I I was always interested in that. Uh, But how I got to write about it really starts out in my career in journalism. And, you know, as a Halloween baby and, you know, when I was born on Halloween and, and I was always attracted to that stuff. Uh, I started to write about every Halloween, I would, I would get a feature story and I would write a Halloween feature story. So one year I was trying to come up with, uh, you know, a new idea, a fresh take, you know, I had sort of done the Halloween parade story and the trick or treater story. So I thought, you know, I would like to look into some local ghost legends and I, knew a few, of course, because of my, uh, that I already had an interest in, in, uh, uh, the paranormal and the supernatural. So I knew a couple ghost legends from around the town. So I, I started to write those and I would say about, you know, 400, 500 words into the story. I realized I, I didn't have enough to make a good 800 word, a thousand word feature story. So I decided I would look at, um, I remembered when I attended Penn State as a student that there were ghost stories there. So I started searching the AP wire. I started looking at uh, the local newspapers in the state college area. And lo and behold, I didn't find just one or two ghost stories. I found dozens and dozens. And some of these ghost stories, as my later research revealed, you know, really went back decades, if not 100 years or so, to the founding of the university. Which made me think, I guess, why, when you think about going to the university, why would that place uh, have so many ghost stories? Because when I think of universities, I think of science and rational thinking and 
materialism and you, you know all of all of those things and yet I found all these ghost stories so it became it became kind of a quest of mine to to figure out whether is it just Penn State that has all these ghost stories well in fact over the next few years remember this was before the internet so I had to kind of wait for every Halloween and search the AP wire to see if there were any ghost stories from other universities and in fact there were again dozens and dozens especially the universities in in New England and uh, in the mid-Atlantic states and of course down south is has a rich ghost lore legacy so just so happened a publisher that I knew uh, was looking for a book idea I pitched him uh, America's Haunted University they liked that and then from there I went with uh, Haunted Rock and Roll and right now I'm uh, I think I'm just a few months away from publishing uh, Country Ghost Stories so so that's it's kind of like a, a weird uh, progression but I was just talking about this the other day without having a Halloween birthday I don't think I would be writing about this today I guess for the ghost of Penn State the song School's Out for Summer doesn't apply. No, not yet. That would piss me off. I mean, if I died and I somehow got stuck in a school, I'd be like, damn it, I worked so hard to get out of here. How did I end up back here? Right, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could address some of, some of the things that I've been finding out is that these ghost stories to, and even I'm, I'm guilty of this, uh, when I first looked at this, I, I thought, oh, these are fun stories and kind of frivolous and, you know, good fun. And as I looked into why, why would these ghost stories appear here, I found a couple reasons that they do appear, that they actually play a pretty important role in universities. And one of the reasons is it's a way to spread caution. So uh, if you are in a campus, and usually, you know, campuses are safe places. I know that the headlines point other ways, but they are safe places. If, if you look at the ghost stories, though, they tend to reinforce really practical safety and caution lessons. If you hear the story of a, a murdered co-ed, you might be more inclined to take a friend along when you walk across campus. You might avoid certain places after dark. They're good lessons. So the other thing that ghost stories might do is they might reinforce lessons on morality or on behavior. And in the South, for instance, there's a ghost that it will appear if there's any uh, signs of unladylike behavior. So, so there's a code of ethics that the ghost is trying to, to um, emphasize. Uh, as a journalist, I got about that far into it when I realized, uh, I think after my first book, when people started to come up to me and tell me their experiences and their experiences are a little different from the experiences that I primarily wrote about maybe my first one or two books. They had actual encounters that they couldn't explain, and they were struggling with the explanation. So I point out uh, now when I give talks that there's another category to these ghost stories. I, I think there's a difference between ghost stories, which are just um, – tales of actual encounters with the unexplained to ghost lore, which I think is kind of a folklore based on ghosts. But these people tell me that their lives have been changed from that. And so I add another section to my talk when I talk about these ghost stories is that there is another level to this that it does seem to point to transcendence, that people are coming in contact with something they don't understand uh, and it's leading them to believe that there is something more out there. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I write these books, I go back and forth between being a believer and being a non-believer or a, uh, a skeptic because I, I, I try to keep an open mind about mm -hmm. that. But, you know, there definitely are people. Uh, and now I'm more inclined to reach out to ghost hunters and researchers and ask them, uh, for their personal accounts, because I think that's kind of the fair way to approach these stories is let everyone, uh, you know, give their point of view. Exactly, exactly. I'm right there with you. you. You wouldn't believe it, but I am skeptical. I believe you have to have a skeptical mind when dealing with ghosts, UFOs or anything else, because if you don't, 
you're going to believe any willy-nilly creation that somebody comes up with. It could be the stupidest thing in the world. Right. And, and if you're not skeptical, you could believe it. it. And, you know, I will be honest with you that I've been going through some of your former uh, podcasts and, and a few of them really struck me uh, because it, it seems similar to things that um, maybe isn't exactly in my books because, again, I, I, I don't want to try to make things uh, – I, I want to try to keep things fun and light and interesting and compelling. But uh, on the one uh, podcast that I just listened to about consciousness that you were talking about, I have to tell you that it made me think a lot about what I've been writing about recently because it feels to me that a lot of these ghost stories are about meaning. There is – there's no way to separate – the unexplained that you meet without understanding the witness, that, the consciousness that witnessed it. So uh, it's been very intriguing for me to go into some of your podcasts and really get into that. Thank you for listening. It's always great when people listen. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's some really good stuff. It really caught my attention when you were talking about the Southern legend that was well known. I had never heard of it, and I'm in Tennessee, about the ghosts that attacks or goes after people that are unladylike, with unladylike behavior. What exactly is going on with this ghost? The ladylike behavior one, I believe, is at a dorm. And the story is that uh, she haunts this dorm. I think it might be Al University of Alabama. But anytime that any of the female students engage in unladylike behavior, it's likely that she is going to appear to them, which reinforces that idea that uh, you shouldn't, uh, you know, it, it's really reinforcing some of those Southern codes, I think. The other one that I was thinking of is at a library, and that story is that this grad student uh, was studying all the time, and a pile of books collapsed on him or her, I think, and killed her. And that lesson there is is somewhat of contrarian. It's telling these students, you know, you want to have a balance of your life. You don't want to spend all your life in the library. There's other things going on. So that's that's another kind of Southern ghost that has that offers lessons uh, to the students. But that story also has another layer to it because there is um, one of the manifestations of that ghost is the smell of cornbread. And, you know, then I have talked to people when I've done my book tours or when I've been on shows and and they have said that they definitely smelled cornbread when they were in that library. And I think that one is the one that's in the University of Tennessee, but I'd have to double check on that. Yeah, for that you. That's definitely a southern lady. She's cooking cornbread and haunting people at the same time. Right. I right. just know it. Multitasking. <laughs> I'm in the Nashville area. There's a story of Cumberland University. I don't know the full story, but a professor died of a heart attack while going down the stairs. Now there are reports of a spirit, a ghost, whatever you might want to call them, going up and down those steps. Students have seen this person. Wow. That's the that's the interesting thing about a lot of these ghost stories, and even the ghost stories that I, I wrote about in Haunted Rock and Roll and, and the Country Ghost Book. Um, there's a level to this, which is the pure story, uh, the pure folklore, which which does have meaning, does have uh, purpose. But then you will also find people who have had actual encounters with with whatever it is. And in my opinion, I think consciousness must play a role in that somehow, whether it's deriving meaning from from the actual encounter or maybe actually creating the actual encounter. Yes. Now, before we get to the topic of tonight's show, have you ever experienced anything yourself, such as uh, ghosts, aliens, UFOs, in anything at all that you can speak of? I have to be pretty careful with this because, uh, again, I do consider myself a skeptic in the truest sense in that I, I really don't know. But I've had encounters, and I've certainly had friends and family members who've had encounters that uh, they, they would have no reason to lie to me, and I can vouch for their mental health. But... I will tell you that I lived in an apartment uh, in a town uh, not too far away from where I live now in State College in Tyrone, Pennsylvania. And during that year or so that I lived there, things would happen. There's, uh, there's a philosopher, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now. I think it might be Hume who said that 
when the explanation, the natural explanation is stranger than, you know, maybe a supernatural explanation, then then you have a problem. And I do have a problem here because during that year, doors would open up on their own. My bed was actually made and I'm not a bed maker. I can I can give you witnesses like my my wife, who would be one. Uh, and the television would turn on, turned on by itself at least twice. So in each step, I, I stepped back and said, well, let's look for a natural explanation. The one was that I went to bed one night. Uh, I realized I didn't close the door or lock the door. And I, I said, oh, I forgot to lock the door, you know, said that to myself. The next morning I woke up and every single door uh, that was normally open uh, and there were like four or five interior doors in this apartment they were all closed and I had always kept them open uh, there was no reason to close them so I looked and I thought well maybe you know I I could sleepwalk maybe I slept walk and closed these doors which seemed a little weird uh, the television when it turned on by itself as I was watching it uh, I was looking in the room and the television turned on you know, it could be that this was an old house where the uh, infrared from other remotes maybe was there were there were several apartments in this old house, I should say. And maybe the infrared was ricocheting off a window, you know, and did a Michael Jordan, you know, nothing but net right into my uh, television set. That's a possibility. So all of those things, I can't for sure say that I believe was any type of supernatural activity. But, you know, I can't say that the natural explanations make me feel comfortable either. Out of all the ghost stories that you've researched, including the ones we may be discussing tonight, have you found that these have been more along the lines of residual energy or intelligent energy? That's a great question. I've never really thought about that in those terms, and I guess I should have. But I have to say that in the rock and roll ones, well, I'm going to say most of them are I would consider residual. Uh, they are the same activities done over and over again, but there are a percentage of them. And I would say most likely they are connected to ghost lore, not the actual ghost story, the ghost account, the account of the unexplained. So uh, I would say most of those are residual and it could be like the cornbread, the smell of cornbread at certain times. It could be the ghost walking up and down the steps of a, you know, an administration building in a university at a given time. Uh, it could be in the case of haunted rock and roll uh, on the anniversary of Buddy Holly's crash. There are reports of people hearing sounds of metal scraping and people screaming and crash sounds uh, in that cornfield where his his plane plummeted. So I would say most of those are residual. There are a few ones that I would label more of on the intelligent side. Do you think it's possible that some of these reports of residual energy could just be the creation of a holographic representation of a former living person? I'm a huge fan of Elvis Presley. Do you think it's possible that a fan or someone that's loved somebody for so long could create a holographic representation and consider that to be a ghost? See, that's that's definitely one of the theories and one of the theories I thought about when I, I listened to your podcast. Um, so there's kind of three ways to look at this. One way is, and, and I encounter this a lot when we talk about the ghosts of like Elvis and people. Uh, the one thing that always stands out about these celebrities and people will say it almost uh, not realizing what they're saying. They're, they always say, you know, Elvis was bigger than life. Elvis had a huge presence. And so is it that end or the other end is the fans love these celebrities so much that they try to uh, recreate them. And maybe they do in, uh, you know, in another sense of reality. The other level to it would be that perhaps they want to so much that they're actually just imagining these, that it's a, a mental health issue that they're having. So there are the three levels. And, uh, you know, I tend to favor the one of the fan recreating. And maybe it just goes to my belief about free will. I would hate to think that poor Elvis is stuck here 
because he had this larger than life personality. So I, I tend to think of the middle path might be the one where it's actually the person himself or herself, the fan, maybe creating, you know, in a holographic sense that the other. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Elvis Presley. I've researched this a lot, and I do not believe Elvis Presley died in 1977. I think there's been way too much evidence supporting the fact that he faked his death more than he actually died. If you look at all the evidence, I actually believe that. But I've heard of reports of Elvis appearing, the ghost of Elvis appearing. He might be dead, he might not be, but how would you explain the ghost appearing like he appeared in the 1950s or in the 1970s, all in different places or at the same time? Well, that's the other layer of the the onion for this, especially with, with Elvis, because, uh, and I didn't get into it too much in the book. Uh, I I didn't really delve too much into the conspiracy theories and, and rock and roll, of which there are, are many. But what I did say is that the rumors of Elvis being alive only made things much more difficult for the ghost, the people who were, you know, for me, who, who was trying to write about ghost stories, because could it be that they were actually, uh, for instance, there's a famous uh, photograph of a, uh, the pool house in Graceland. And you can look at it and you can see a person who looks a lot like Elvis, dressed a lot like Elvis, has sunglasses like Elvis. So there were three camps. One was, the, as you said, the Elvis is alive camp. And they said, that's Elvis. And then there are people who are in the ghost camp who said, that's the ghost of Elvis. And then there's a third one who, who you know, Elvis hung around with uh, a bunch of guys who loved to emulate him. What Elvis wore they wore the type of sunglasses he wore they wore the way he wore his hair the way he you know used his sideburns put had his sideburns done they did so when i you know when i'm writing this i'm kind of like holy crap you know where do i go with this this is this is so what i try to do is i'm a i'm a great uh when it comes to journalism i think all journalists are at heart uh, pretty good cowards you know they're honest cowards so i i wrote about all three of those different camps that's the best way to do it that's the only way you can do it (laughs) uh the topic of tonight is the ghost of country music being in tennessee especially here in the nashville area it it doesn't surprise Mm -hmm. me that you could write an entire book about the ghost of country music because when it comes right down to it real country music has largely been all about heartaches drinking drugs and suicidal feelings i mean that's country music yep yeah that's it that's that that's just one song (laughs) True, especially when it comes to someone like Hank Williams Sr. Yeah, yeah. The way I, and first of all, I should should say that I'm, I'm a big fan of classic country. I've always been a big fan of uh, Hank Williams and uh, Patsy Cline, I think, is one of the most distinctive voices in American music history, just not country music history. Uh, so I've had a great respect for it. I, I lean towards haunted rock and roll. Uh, because, you know, rock and roll is probably my first big musical love. I already had some ideas of what the stories would be. Uh, but as I researched haunted rock and roll, I started finding country music stories. So, uh, you know, I'm always the one who says, hmm, I'll start taking notes on that. Uh, you know, I'll start collecting websites and stories and start looking for books and and people to talk to. So I started to write uh come up with some notes and and actually if you were to ask me uh to compare the two i would say that there is very little difference in the volume of um, stories ghost stories from rock and roll as there are country they're pretty much equal there's about as many country ghost stories as there are uh rock and roll ghost stories the difference for me was the haunted rock and roll stories had a much darker edge to them than most of the countries. And I'm generalizing there, but most of the country stories I feel are more traditional country uh, ghost stories um, where you have a person who achieves fame, who dies, who haunts a certain area or areas. So that much more traditional than let's say Jimmy Page in uh, Bulliskin House, which uh, is all tied in with Aleister Crowley and, and things like that. 
So I, I think the volume is there. It's just kind of a different creepiness factor as far as the ones that are different, rock and roll or country. I know that uh, Hank Williams Jr. credits his father for saving his life after he fell off the mountain. But what can you tell us about the later life of Hank Sr.'s energy? When I researched this, you know, um, and the one great thing about these uh, writing these books are the, that you learn a lot more about uh, the the celebrities. And in fact, one of the best compliments I ever received from my haunted rock and roll book was someone came up to me in a bookstore where I was and said, you know, I don't believe any of this, but I love the book because I learned so much about these people. And so ghost stories make a great way to te- a sneaky, sneaky way of teaching history. So I, I thought I knew a lot about Hank, but when I got into the writing, what I found was a much more complex figure. Uh, as far as my impression of Hank was that he was a, you know, a hard drinking, uh, you know, guitar strumming, you know, sort of a badass uh, type of figure. Um, and what I found was a little more complex. It sounded more like he had severe back problems for, since he was a kid. I think he had spina bifida. He had kind of drank and got into painkillers as a way to deal with that pain. So it, it, it made me feel more pity for him, especially in that last, uh, it's kind of infamous, uh, the, the, his famous death ride where he travels from Alabama to uh, West Virginia. He had a show, I think, in Ohio, and it, it would be a comedy of errors if it wasn't so tragic. So I guess it's a tragedy of errors. He drove to Knoxville, and then he decided to take a plane, and uh, either A, the weather was bad, or B, he was thrown off because he was drunk and belligerent. There's a couple different stories on that. He goes back to this hotel, they kick him out of the hotel again. There's some discrepancies there. His chauffeur starts driving towards Ohio, and, and it turns out in West Virginia in a gas station, uh, they find out that, that uh, he had passed away. And nobody even really knows when he died on this, this ride. He could have died you know, hundreds of miles before that because this was the first time they stopped in a while. So there, his later energy, I would say, was was a, a still a wandering spirit. I think that that comes out in the, the ghost stories that you hear because Hank Williams is one of the country ghosts that uh, appears in just about every place that he was associated with. So he's in the Ryman, he's in Tootsie's, he's uh, in that Knoxville hotel, apparently, He's uh, been seen near that town where he died outside of the the gas station. So just about every place he touches, uh, he leaves his spirit. And a lot of people may not know what Tootsie's is, but it's a uh, the original honky tonk in downtown Nashville. It, it's huge. It's where a lot of the country singers really started out at, and it, even the larger country singers will still go to the honky tonk called Tootsie's because it's just legendary. It is Nashville. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have to say that I, I am not a ghost hunter. I, I don't ghost hunt. First of all, the hours are pretty lousy for me. I, I don't want to be traipsing around the building at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> when I can be sleeping. But, uh, Tootsie's is always, uh, I was in Tootsie's, uh, I was in the Ryman and there are, there, there's a feeling about those places. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's a, there's something Maybe in the atmosphere, maybe it's my imagination, but uh, I remember walking in there and really feeling the vibes of all those those uh, famous country acts. I felt the same vibe when I was in Memphis. If if Elvis came and tapped me on the shoulder while I was walking, you know, in Memphis, it wouldn't have surprised me. I know exactly what you mean about the energy, the feeling. It could be that country music is more than just music. It's our way of life. You know, Nashville seems to call out to people of all types of people, talents, singers, writers, and it it almost seems as though the country musicians of the past are now calling out to the country musicians of the future. Was that kind of what you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it on that level, uh, it's they almost become like 
guides or guardian angels that are almost protecting their music. I, I don't know how they feel right now about some of the country acts, <laughs> but uh, but I, I do get that sense that, you know, if you're you're playing in Tootsies and you feel those same vibrations that I did, I, I think you honor and respect those those previous musicians. So, uh, you know, going back to what we discussed about uh, universities, maybe they uh, maybe even if there isn't anything to these ghost stories, maybe if it is just ghost lore, it certainly is a way to in- reinforce a code of ethics or a code of, of music. Um, you know, I will tell you this, that uh, the, the other big insight for me when writing the ghost of country music, even more so than uh, haunted rock and roll, is the the idea that music uh, is a way to achieve transcendence. It's a, it is literally a way to uh, tap the spiritual side of people. And so when I started the haunted rock and roll, I thought, well, rock and roll, you know, you got your voodoo and you got your Robert Johnson out in the crossroads and all this kind of. Uh, no wonder it's haunted, right? But when I got into country music and I didn't come across crossroad curses or or voodoo or anything like that, what I came across was uh, a, a need for transcendence. There's, even when we talk about country music being about, uh, you know, the, the kind of the common problems that people have every day with broken hearts and dying and death and all those things, it's a way to achieve transcendence. And if you think of any type of, of spiritual system, each system that I can think of uses music as a component, whether it's rhythmic drumming, whether it's chanting, whether it's uh, organ fugues, whether it's guitar, whatever. All, all of those spiritual systems across the globe use music. And so... When you talk about the ghosts of Hank Williams, he does really have kind of a guardian angel aspect in a lot of these stories. And in fact, um, uh, one of the stories you'll read in the book is about a uh, girl who got lost one night uh, after a prom or after a party. Uh, and she was rescued by what she would say would be uh, the guardian, her guardian angel, which was uh, who was uh, Hank Williams. So there's all sorts of interesting stories like that. And, she, and, and uh, this young lady knew who Hank Williams was. I guess she had seen his picture before. Well, that's that's the interesting thing because uh, it was uh, one of the one of my friends uh, who I met really uh, investigating this book um, uh, was a medium in Nashville at one time. I think she said, uh, and um, this lady wrote her a, a letter about the incident and always this girl knew was that this man in a suit with a cowboy hat, distinctive voice, lanky, you know, gave the description, had rescued her, had given her some money for some gas and gave her directions. And then uh, a day later, she never told her mom what happened. Her mom was going through her favorite country music magazine and flipped the page and there was a picture of Hank Williams. And this girl said, that's the guy who saved me. That's the one. And she said, no, I'm sorry. That's impossible. Uh, he's been dead for a while. And, and she said, no, he, that is definitely the guy who saved me. So it's uh, that's an interesting one. It certainly is. You were speaking about this medium in Nashville and, but has there been any reports of any former country musicians that have now passed communicating with a medium that you know of? Uh, I do know that she talked to Jet Williams because she um, started to do some automatic writing and she felt like she was channeling and Jet Williams is Hank Williams daughter. Um, and somehow she knew that she was channeling Hank Williams and she gave her that um, that message. But what with this book, there's kind of three ways. Uh, I, I kind of divide things up between, uh, first of all, country stars that are ghosts, uh, country stars that have seen ghosts or communed with ghosts, and country stars that are both, which would be Johnny Cash. Um, but Loretta Lynn, I, I don't know whether she ever used a medium, but I know she, in 
you know, based on my research, she is probably the most uh, supernaturally aware country uh, star out there. She's had so many run-ins with the paranormal that, and, and, she, and she's not afraid to talk about it. Um, you know, it, it does strike me that maybe one of the stories I heard after I wrote the book, because I will tell you the, the process, Bob, is that you write these books and you think you've been completely exhaustive in research. And the second it goes to press or the second you get the book pretty much written, you'll find five, ten more stories. So I, I think there was a story about her reaching out to Patsy Cline, which I don't know whether made the book. But what I can't remember is whether that was with a medium or not. I've definitely heard a lot of stories about Loretta Lynn and her haunted plantation. And, and it just seems from what I remember reading about her is that she seems to be welcoming to the spirit. She's not afraid of it. It's almost like it's a part of the family or a friend. So it might be Patsy Cline. I don't know. Yeah, there. That's that's exactly exactly what I found. Um, and you know, I don't even know whether she would need a medium because she she seemed to be able to do pretty well on her own with contacting the spirit world. The one story that I found fascinating with her is that her run-ins with the occult, uh, the paranormal, or whatever you want to call it, starts when she is very very young. Uh, and one of the stories is. I, I got the sense that she was out trick-or-treating, but she was kind of doing more of the tricking than the treating. <laughs> and she, I think they were soaping some, soaping some ladies' windows. And as they looked in the window and were soaping, they saw the lady in, in the living room. So, of course, they turned around to run. And as they started to run, uh, the same lady was walking up the garden towards them. So, obviously, can't be in two places at once. So she thought one of them was a, must have been some type of spectral entity. Or from a skeptical position, it could have been a twin sister. That could be that, sure, yeah. Yeah, or even a family member. It could be. And they just didn't get a good look. Couldn't see through the soap. Yeah, that's true. You can't see through soap or toilet paper if you roll somebody's house. <laughs> right. I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. I know you mentioned Johnny Cash. Have you heard about the Johnny Cash house in Jamaica? Yeah, that's actually uh, in the book. Um, I I have uh, several. That's what I was sort of uh, alluding to uh, when Johnny Cash probably tells the most convincing ghost story that I've heard um, in his biography. And it is about uh, Cinnamon Hill, his his Jamaica home away from home. And that story is he was having a dinner party there. And and I get the sense that there were six people or seven people uh, in the dining room and they saw a woman walk through the door, the dining room door, and then out the other double doors and the double doors were both closed. So she walked through it. And, you know, it, it's one of those cases where the journalist in me says, well, if you have one witness, that's one thing, two witnesses, that's another. Now you have six or seven people who all claim to see the same thing. And, uh, that, that gets a little, a little more, you know, difficult to, to blame on on any type of natural or, or psychological phenomena. The great man in black, yes. He had a, he lived a turbulent life. It was pretty much the typical country song. I mean, that's Johnny Cash's life. And then we have a beautiful heart who uh, killed herself, Mindy McCready. She was sad, alone, depressed. Do we know anything about Mindy McCready? Has she moved on or is she still here? Well, I do have her in the book, but primarily I have a story that she encountered a ghost in Scotland. That's one of the ghost stories she tells. But there are other stories right before she committed suicide that she was having uh, visitations from her boyfriend who was also allegedly committed suicide. So I don't I don't think I have anything about people running into her. But yeah, such a wonderful talent and again a you know a tragic figure with country musicians we're talking about heartaches drinking drugs suicidal feelings i mean that could affect a lot of people but with all the deaths as well we're looking at uh not just country musicians but people like buddy holly uh hank williams senior conway twitty and a bunch of other people and in the life that johnny cash lived do you think that maybe some of these musicians were cursed that's a that's a good question because uh, in the Haunted Rock and Roll book, I bring up the 
curse of Buddy Holly. And I don't know whether Buddy Holly was cursed, but but I will tell you that he had several dreams before. And so did Richie Valens had several dreams before that tour that it, that it was doomed. So you might read that into that as being a, a curse. Um, but Buddy Holly, there's the curse of Buddy Holly, which is that people who were connected with Buddy Holly later on died, uh, mysterious deaths. And uh, Bobby Fuller, who was kind of looked at as the next Buddy Holly, and uh, his his producer was Buddy Holly's producer. He dies in a, a bizarre, uh, and it's still kind of a mystery, uh, but he, he died, uh, and I think he was bludgeoned to death or caught on fire. So it was, it was horrific, whatever it was, but he was one, uh, there were, there were several people on his tour that later died. And then there are even years later, weird stories about Keith Moon was a victim of the Buddy Holly curse. He dies, uh, of a drug overdose, but the night before he, his girlfriend, Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney went to see the Buddy Holly story. Um, so there's, there's definitely a kind of a cursed aspect. I didn't find any curses per se, uh, in the country book yeah. though. Another person that was part of the Buddy Holly legend. I think he lived to an old age. I don't know what he died of was Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Yeah. Yeah. We can't claim him on, on the Buddy Holly curse. There were a few other folks too, that, that got, uh, caught up in that. In fact, um, so Eddie Cochran, who was, uh, Buddy Holly's close friend, and he went on a tour of England. Uh, basically he went on a tour of England because he wanted to quit, uh, performing. He wanted to produce, he saw what happened to Buddy Holly and he dies tragically in a, in a car crash. Uh, Ronnie Smith, I think was a singer in the winter dance party tour, which was Buddy Holly's tour. He died, uh, after drug and alcohol uh, problems, mental health issues. But then uh, Ricky Nelson, which I would have been years and years later after, his last song was a Buddy Holly song. Del Shannon, his last song was a Buddy Holly song. So there are, you know, first of all, you know, the skeptic in me says, well, Buddy Holly was a was a great singer-songwriter. And of course, the odds of you playing, uh, you know, Buddy Holly songs pretty great as, as one of those guys. But, you know, on the other hand, it, it still is kind of striking that that uh, his name crops up in a lot of these these uh, tragic deaths. In your research for the Ghost of Rock and Roll, ha- have you found that any reports of Richie Valens or the Big Bopper? I did not. Only that there are this there's at the crash site. There seems to be some residual energy there. That's about all I really got uh, about those folks. Do you know of any? Ghost of comedy, such as Robin Williams or uh, Sam Kennison. Oh my God, I I don't, but I'm telling you that it would be a great book because I'm I'm sure it's it feels like I have heard some of those stories. You need to get to work on that and then come back and we'll okay. discuss it. <laughs> okay, okay, definitely. That is kind of the joke uh, among my friends. Is they're asking me, well, what are you doing? Are you doing the ghosts of folk music this week? Are you doing the ghosts of jazz? But who, but who knows? Okay, how about the ghost of Michael Jackson? I, I've heard different rumors about that. What have you found? I have found a lot of, I would say, circumstantial uh, stories about, ghost stories about Michael Jackson. Uh, there have been several television news clips, interviews, where people claim to see Michael Jackson in the background while I think one of them is um, Larry King is interviewing Michael Jackson's brother, and people say they see him back there. There are some a lot of stories about when he died. People were taking pictures and seeing strange lights, uh, see, and they would take pictures and see orbs in the pictures they took. And I know there's a lot of controversy about that. The other story is that one of the mansions he lived in in Los Angeles, the neighbors complained that uh, that they heard Michael Jackson music coming from out of there. Uh, and when the police go to investigate, there's no one on the property. So either it's some pretty swift vandals breaking in and doing that, or, or maybe there's something, uh, unexplainable going on. I remember, I guess a year or two after Michael Jackson died, there was something on YouTube, a news magazine. I don't know if it was entertainment tonight or something or another had done a uh, piece of walking into, I don't know if it was the 
room that Michael Jackson died in or Michael Jackson's bedroom at Neverland. But when they walked into it, you could hear a voice that sounded like Michael Jackson's voice, that he was in shock that somebody was in his room. Wow. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. I had to play it back multiple times because the skeptic in me was like, okay, what is this? It could be anything. But as I listened to it multiple times, sure enough, it sounded like Michael Jackson. I didn't get to watch the actual clip as it played on TV. So someone could have just put Michael Jackson's voice into it. I don't know what that was. Yeah, that's that's the difficulty, especially in, in the age we're at, is that the computer techniques to fake things have become, you know, so good that I, I have to be very discerning. Um, now I will write about it, uh, but I'll also say, you know, I will offer that as a warning because some of, some of the fake ruse are just so good now. And, and I'm sure you encounter that with the, with the UFO authors that you have on now. Sometimes you don't know who to believe, but doing a show or writing a piece, you can't really lean one way or the other. You have to be right in the middle just ask the questions and let the audience make up their minds. That's so true. And there's another reason for that, because that kind of tension uh, keeps the reader interested. You know, uh, there's nothing worse for me than to read either a total skeptic or a cynic or a total believer, you know, because it's, it's just not compelling. But it, you accomplish a couple things when you try to write honestly. One you're, you're being honest and you're saying, well, there's two or three or four different sides to this. And the other thing is you're, it's a little more compelling and, and it, and it proves someone, you know, did some extra groundwork on it. And ladies and gentlemen, Matt's book will be out February the 7th or 8th of next year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it is the ghost of country music. And before we head out, Matt, is there anything you would like to share with the audience? I don't know. I, I would just uh, encourage you to, uh, of course, buy the book. But uh, uh, if you want any more information about me, I have a website, mattswain.com, M-A-T-T-S-W-A-Y-N-E. And uh, I hope you appreciate it. Please let me know uh, if you read it, if you like it. I would appreciate you giving it a good review on Amazon. That would be great, too. Well, I look forward to reading it. I've not read it. It's not out yet. I have one last question for you, Matt. It's something I always ask, and if you've heard my show before, you know what this is. If time travel were real here and today, where would you go to and what would you do? Oh, that is a great question. I, I think I would probably ask for some stock tips. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Matt Swain. And as I said, his book is not available until February the 7th or 8th of next year. It is The Ghost of Country Music. But if you are interested in reading his book, you can find it by going to MysteriousMatters.com slash country music. That is MysteriousMatters.com slash country music. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Mysterious Matters program. We have a small handful of shows left before we end this season. And those interviews will include two back-to-back -back interviews with John Hogue on the 14th and 15th of November. On the 14th, we will be discussing the 45th president of the United States. Who is it? What does John foresee for us, for our nation? And what does John see for 2017, not only for the United States, but for the world? And then on the 15th, John will be returning to discuss his spiritual journey, something he has never discussed on any show before except for just a little bit on our last show together. And he will also be discussing Osho, his spiritual mentor, Osho. And then we will be having a legendary broadcaster and one of my mentors, Ian Punnett. Well, ladies and gentlemen, until the next time we do come back together again, I bid you all a kind farewell. Farewell.